Well, hey, everybody, thanks for being here today. Uh, if you missed it at the beginning, my name is Adam and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're able to be with us this morning as we continue in our study of the book of Colossians. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open it up. Honestly, we're not gonna spend a ton of time in Colossians. Actually, we're only covering one verse today. Last week, we covered Colossians 3.18, which was instructions directly to, anybody remember? Two wives, that's right, I'm glad you were paying attention, okay. And this week we're studying Colossians 3.19, which is instructions to, can you guess? Husbands, that's right. So wives, I hope that you brought your husbands with you today, or if you're watching online right now, you need to be here and listening to This is going to be some important instruction that Paul has for us about husbands. Before we get into that, just a little bit of recap. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because there are some things that we covered last week that were foundational that apply to this week as well. One of the things we talked about was God's design for marriage. We said God designed marriage. He created it. It's not a a man-made institution. It's a God-made institution. And so he has ideas about how it works best. And not only did we say God designed marriage, but God designed marriage to be a lifelong commitment. It is supposed to be a commitment that we enter into with another person that we are going to be with forever. It's not supposed to be something that we break. Now, there are exceptions that we talked about last week because we are sinful people. There are times when when it makes sense and it is biblical and Jesus and Paul and Moses gave those times for us so that we know, okay, there are times when we do have to break apart that marriage. There are those times. But it's not God's design. It's not the ideal for marriage. The world kind of takes this merry-go-round approach to marriage that you can get on and get off and you know, you're married for 18 months, two years and then you get divorced and then you marry someone else and you get divorced and it's just this continual cycle and that is not what God wants for marriage. It is supposed to be a lifelong commitment. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, divorce is not an option. How many of you have heard that before? Divorce is not an option. And some people say murder maybe, but never, never divorce, you know? Like that's the only way that we'll ever be separated. And it's kind of a, uh, it's a, a very strong phrase, but for Christians, and as assuming that those exceptions we talked about um, for divorce are not there, then that's the way marriage is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be an option for us as Christians. We're supposed to work through our difficulties and our challenges when we face them, and we get stronger because of that. We're supposed to have a burn the ships mentality. Burn the ships, have you heard that phrase before? It comes from this Spanish conqueror, Hernan Cortez, who brought his troops to the shores of Mexico, and before they went in to conquer, he had his men destroy their ships out in the water. They destroyed the ships so that no one could turn back. There was no getting out of this. We're going forward one way or the other. You're going with us. Nobody is getting out of this thing. And that's kind of the, uh, the mindset that we're supposed to have when it comes to marriage. It's a burn the ships kind of mindset where there's no going back. We are in this together, the two of us. And as we said, there are some exceptions to that that the Bible talks about. But we want to know the the Bible says that marriage is supposed to be a lifelong commitment. Now, here's what that means with all that foundation. What that means is we've got to learn to live together. And that is not always an easy thing to do. I I know. And you you may look at me and with what what you see of me, you know, I speak here on stage and you might see me on videos and interact with me in the lobby in different places. You might think, man, they just have the best marriage and it's perfect and wonderful. And they always get along with each other and they never have any problems. And that's basically true. But no, that's not true at all. 
We have had a ton of challenges in our marriage and especially the first couple of years, it was really, really challenging. We wondered what did we get ourselves into here because we're very different people and we had some outside stressors that, that were a factor as well and, and made life very challenging but everybody has those types of things and we just had a hard time understanding how do we get along with each other when we're very different people. We approach things differently. Right, so my wife has one way of approaching a problem and I might have a different way. And she wants to talk it through this way and I wanna do this about it. And we just have these differences and if you're not careful, things that before you got married, you might've thought were kind of cute or just little nuances of that person's personality. After you get married and you live with them for a while, it's like, well, that's really annoying. That's really irritating that you do that thing. And that can blow up into a huge deal. Little things become big deals when all of a sudden you're living together and you, you're faced with that prospect of this lifelong commitment. So I know marriage is not easy, but the idea that God has for us about marriage is that we are supposed to stick with it uh, through tough times, through good times, and we're supposed to stick with each other even when we don't understand each other well. Now, one of the aspects of men and women being different is that, that we all approach things from a different perspective and we all have different struggles in marriage. And wives typically have some different struggles than men have different struggles. And this is why the Bible speaks to wives and husbands differently. Last week, we looked at Colossians 3.18 about how wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, to respect their husband's leadership. We said God has given husbands a, a team leader kind of role in the family. That doesn't mean the wife is not a leader. There's lots of caveats to that, and you can go back and watch last week's message if you want to dive more into that. But as a result, what happens is some of the times what, um, what women struggle with, what wives struggle with in marriage, are different than what men struggle with in marriage. And that's why Paul gives us some different instructions on how to handle marriage. Because we're so different, when the negative worst parts of our differences come together, it can be really, really explosive. When the good parts of our differences come together, it can be the most amazing partnership imaginable. And so that's what we want to do today. We want to try to draw out some of the good parts of those differences and how can we as husbands and mostly husbands, but wives as well, work together. Today's just our focus on the husbands to have a wonderful lifelong marriage. Now, important caveat here is that this is not going to be a silver bullet today. We are not going to have time to speak to every issue. This is going to be a short teaching time on Colossians 3.19. And then you see the chairs behind me. We are going to invite the, the husbands of the wives from last week's panel to come out and tell their side of the story, you know, what, whatever they want to share. We're going to dive into what does it mean for husbands to do what Paul is going to tell us to do here. But it's not going to be a silver bullet. It's not going to solve every problem. But I do think it's going to hit on one of the core issues plaguing marriages today. And I do think that if husbands could get this aspect right that we're going to talk about today, it would solve a lot of other problems in marriages. So wives, just be careful not to like, you know, elbow your husband too much during this. You may want to social distance from each other during this. I'm just, just to tell you. We did talk last week about the need for the husband to be a leader in his home and a leader of the family and that that is a God-given role for him and that wives are also a leader in the process. And I came across an analogy that may be helpful for you. It's a little helpful for me. And it's the idea of um, two pilots in a plane. And you might, you, of course, you're going to have a co-pilot when you're flying a plane, especially a, a big plane. You want to make sure you've got someone else there with you. You're a team and you're trading off responsibilities and things. But there's typically one that's going to have um, kind of a primary role in flying that plane, one that's going to be there with them. Both of them are perfectly capable to fly the plane. 
but they can't both be having the controls all the time. And maybe that's a little helpful for you in understanding how is there kind of a different role here? It doesn't mean that, that the other one, pilot number two, can't fly the plane or just as well or even better. But you've got to have somebody that's on point to make sure that that plane is being flown and that the right things are happening. And that is a role that we believe God has called the husband to do. Now, just to acknowledge this fact, there are some families where the wife is flying the plane and she's the only one to fly the plane because the husband is not there. And in those situations, she can fly the plane just fine and do a wonderful job raising her kids and, and leading her family as she needs to. But I think even those women would readily admit that God's design is for there to be a husband and a wife together, flying the plane together, working together. That's how God designed it. So husbands and wives, different roles, different responsibilities. Um, there's more on that last week if you didn't catch that that you could get into. Um, but I wanna talk about something else which is because of these differences that we have, the struggles can be a little bit different between wives and husbands. So wives tend to struggle, this is generally speaking, some of this is dependent on personality and past trauma and experiences, but generally speaking, wives will struggle a little bit more with being respectful of their husbands. And sometimes there's good reason for that because sometimes we are just idiots. And so it's, there's very good reason is not to respect us at times, right? And yet Paul's admonition to wives is, hey, make sure you're respecting your husband's leadership, submitting to your husband's leadership. That is something that wives may struggle with a little bit more. They may have a difficult time being a little more critical and, and disrespectful with husbands. Husbands, on the other hand, typically don't struggle as much with respecting their wives in the same way. What they tend to struggle a lot more with is loving their wives well. See, wives are very good, again, generally speaking, at showing affection, at displaying love. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they don't become worse at that over time in the relationship as a response to you know, how they're being loved, but just naturally speaking, women tend to be better at showing affection than men are. And so husbands struggle with showing love to our wives in the way we should, um, but, but wives are very good at that. And so this is why Paul is giving different instructions to wives and husbands. And that's what we're gonna see here when we get into Colossians 3.19. Let's go ahead and read this verse. It's very short. Paul tells wives to respect their husband's leadership. And then he tells husbands this. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. What's interesting to me about this verse is that Paul has just finished telling the wives that they're supposed to submit to their husband's leadership. And then he doesn't turn around to the husbands and say, now husbands, lead well. In fact, he doesn't say anything about leadership per se. His command to the husbands is love your wives well. Never treat them harshly. Love your wives, husbands. Love your wives. What does Paul mean by love your wives? It's not entirely clear upon reading that what he has in mind. There's a restaurant in St. Louis called Salt and Smoke. Has anyone heard of Salt and Smoke? Okay, they've got new places opening up. It's a fantastic restaurant, man. They've got, if you order one of their entrees, it comes with a cheddar popover. It's delicious. Uh, they also have toasted ravioli that has barbecue brisket meat in the ravioli. It's amazing. But my favorite dish there is the burnt ends. And I don't even remember if it's actually officially on the menu, but if you ask for the burnt ends, it's the burnt ends that are covered in sauce, cooked, brought out, covered in sauce again, cooked again. And by the time they're brought to you, they're basically meat candy. It is so, so good. And I love the burnt ends from Salt and Smoke. I also love my wife. Those are two very different things. See, in English, we say love for a lot of different things. I love chocolate. I love good weather. I love Jenny. But 
Those are different things. And in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, they actually had different words to communicate different concepts about love. Some people make too big a deal of this. There is some overlap between these words, but there are some unique nuances about these words for love. Paul could have used the word phileo, which is like a brotherly love. It's an affection that you have for someone like a brother. Or storge, which is a love for a family member like a parent or a grandparent. Or the word eros, which is a more physically intimate kind of love. It's a passionate kind of love. But the word that Paul uses in Colossians 3.19, commanding husbands to love their wives, most of you probably have already figured it out, is the well-known word agape. And agape love is different than all those other kinds of love. Agape love is, is more about commitment than about a feeling. It's about a choice to love rather than physical intimacy or a feeling of love. It's a choice to care and to sacrifice, to be there for someone no matter what. And in a healthy marriage, you're gonna have all the kinds of love, but agape love is top shelf love. This is, this is the key love that Paul commands for us. And here's why this matters. We tend to think of love as being something that happens to us, right? We fall in love. We passively fall in love. We become love struck. Love happens to us. And yet what Paul is commanding here is not the kind of love that just happens upon you and oh, I feel like loving my wife today. The kind of love Paul is talking about with agape love is a choice to love. Even when the thing you're loving isn't necessarily that lovable, it is a choice to love, a command, an imperative to love. And so what I wanna do in the, in the next few minutes is talk about some ways to show agape love to your wife. I'm gonna talk specifically to the husbands, okay? So wives, you're welcome to listen in if you want to. This really isn't as much for you. This is for the husbands or the people that may one day be husbands. And for the rest of you, it's good to know what the Bible says about what it means to be a husband. So it's still good. But husbands, I'm gonna speak directly to you and share with you four ways that you can show agape love. And here's my challenge for you. I would love for you, either mentally or with a piece of paper, to give yourself a rating. I know this is dangerous. On a scale of one to 10, how are you doing? 10 being the best, wanna be clear on that. How are you doing in each of these four areas of love? How are you doing in each of these four areas of showing love? And wives, I'm not asking you to keep score, okay? I know you will anyway, but I'm not asking you to, okay? This is for the husbands. This is a self-assessment. How are you doing in these four areas? We're gonna get the first three from Ephesians. So we're gonna springboard from Colossians 3 to Ephesians chapter five. You can turn there if you want or we'll put it on the screens. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We talked about this last week. There's a submission to each other in the body of Christ. But then he gets more specific. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. You wives should submit to your husbands in everything. We talked about that last week. If that sounds off-putting to you, please go watch the message last week and it will explain a lot of questions there. But let's jump down to verse 28. In the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. So the first thing I want you to write down about how to agape love your wife is that you need to love enough to lead. Love enough to lead. Paul says that the husband is the head we talked last week about what that meant. It's not the head like a head of state or the head of a company. It's the head like the head of a body that's caring for the whole body. That's the idea that Paul has in mind here. 
Leadership is not usually about getting your own way. It's not about making all the decisions. Leadership, when it comes down to it, is primarily about three things. Responsibility, influence, and initiative. Responsibility, influence, and initiative. Husbands, God has given you the responsibility to be the point man for your family. To take responsibility when things go wrong, to help make them go right, to take responsibility for your family's safety, to make sure they have the ability to thrive. You have leadership influence in your family, whether you realize it or not, you have influence, so you have to be responsible to use that wisely and intentionally. And the secret sauce to leadership, in my opinion, and especially in the family and in the marriage, is initiative. This, I think, is the secret sauce to leadership in the home. It's taking initiative. And here's why. A lot of guys feel like it's very difficult for them to take a leadership role in the home, especially in a Christian home. I'm speaking mostly to Christian husbands with with wives who are Christians here and assuming that that is true. If the wife is more spiritually mature than the husband, the husband thinks, I can't really lead her. How can I be a leader in my home when she is so much better study than I am? She knows more about the Bible than I do. She's involved in a lot of Bible studies that I'm not a part of. And there are some good reasons for this. I mean, for one, wives, women in general, typically like to read more than men do. I saw a stat one time that something like 60% of men after college never finish a book all the way through. I don't know if that's true. I heard some women laughing about that because that sounds ridiculous to you. Or maybe you're like, yeah, my husband's one of those. But it's just a fact that a lot of guys don't like to read, okay? And then on top of that, the Bible studies, if you look at any church that has Bible studies for men and women, what's the percentage breakdown of the men versus women attending those Bible studies? It's way higher for women all the time. And part of that's a social thing. Part of that's a time thing. There's all sorts of factors that go into that. Part of it's just a wiring thing. Uh, But the fact of the matter is a lot of our women are way more spiritually grounded and knowledgeable than men are in the relationship. And here's what I wanna tell you. That does not mean that you can't be a leader in your home. Because nowhere in this discussion about leadership have we mentioned having lots of knowledge being a core factor in that. It's about taking initiative, it's about taking responsibility, and it's about having influence. And none of those actually require you to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, leadership is usually not about being the smartest person in the room. Leadership is about surrounding yourself with a team of people who are smarter in different areas than you are. And then it's your responsibility to influence and take initiative to lead that team. That is how a husband can be a leader in his home, even if he doesn't feel like he is the most spiritually mature person in the home. Take initiative in the home. Take your spiritual life seriously and catch up to your wife. Be serious about reading the Bible and studying it and getting into Bible studies. And and I'm not saying you should ignore those things because, well, you know, the pastor said that's not really important. It is important, but it should not keep you from being a leader in your home. Responsibility, influence, and initiative. Influence your family toward God-honoring behaviors. Be the one that says, hey, why don't we read the Bible? Why don't we pray together? Why don't we sit down and study this? Why don't we go through this together? Take initiative in your home. That's what leadership is all about. Now look at verse 25 of Ephesians chapter five. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. One of the things we think about when Jesus gave up his life for us, we often think about and we celebrate it with communion is how Jesus gave up his life for us on the cross. And that's a big deal. But something we don't often think about, or at least I don't often think about until I study this passage more, is the fact that he continues to give his life up for us. Think about it. There is no church 2.0. 
There is no church that's gonna come along and replace us. Jesus Christ didn't just commit to us for that one time, for that one action, for that one sacrifice. He actually committed to us for eternity. He continually has given his life up for us. He has bound himself to the church and husbands are supposed to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her, but he continues to give himself up for her. The Bible says he sacrificed his divine privileges to come and do this for us. Now, I was going to call this point something about like love enough to sacrifice, but I feel like the word sacrifice is, is kind of a spiritual sounding word. It doesn't sort of have the daily practical application teeth that I'm going for here. So let me put this into a phrase that I think will be a little bit more impactful, and that is love enough to be inconvenienced. Love enough to be inconvenienced, because that's what sacrifice usually looks like. The big sacrifice of jumping in front of a bullet for your wife doesn't happen every day. But being inconvenienced, that happens a lot more regularly and love enough to be inconvenienced. What happens when she does something that throws off your routine? When she interrupts you to help with something right when the movie's getting good? When she interrupts you and and breaks off your rhythm when you're trying to get some project done or work on something, do you love her enough to be willing to be inconvenienced? And there are bigger sacrifices to bigger inconveniences. You may drive a different car than you would have otherwise. You may live somewhere different than you would have chosen otherwise. All of that is something God has called us to do as husbands of our wives to be willing to sacrifice and be inconvenienced. And let me just say that there should also be healthy boundaries in marriage and there need to be conversations about preferences. It doesn't mean that you just kind of roll over and and whatever she wants goes, but it does mean that just as husbands, God has called us to a role of serving and sacrificing for our wives. And we can get into this place of pride where we want everything done our way and we're not willing to serve them and care for them and it's all kind of going one way and that's not a healthy relationship. We need to love enough to be inconvenienced. If we go back to verse 25, at the end, Paul says he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And it's interesting to me that there are two aspects of Jesus' love and sacrifice here. The first one is that he gave up his life for her. He died on the cross for the church. But the second thing is he did this so that she could become holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. This is what Jesus is doing with the church. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, becoming holy and clean. That's not done yet. That's a continual process. That is still happening right now. That is Jesus continuing to be involved in the life of his church, making her holy and clean, washed with God's word. And here's what I learned from that that I think is so interesting. Jesus didn't just say, okay, I did this for you one time and now you're own." No, he continued to be with us. He continues to engage with us. Even the word that we use for Jesus this time of year, Emmanuel, what does it mean? God with us, Right? Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God who wanted to be present with us and involved with us, not just to save us and then he's done with us, but to actually engage with us and connect with us and to continue to help us grow, to become holy and clean, washed with God's word. So this is all in the context of Paul telling husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So what do we pull out of this? Well, love enough to be present. Love enough to be present. That's what Jesus did for us. He continues to want to live with us, to have a close relationship with us. So for husbands today, that might mean putting down the phone and engaging in conversation. That might mean actually turning and looking at your wife when she's talking to you. I know that's tough, but you got to do it. You've got to be present. You've got to be engaged. Jesus came to this earth, gave up all these divine privileges to be present with us. And Paul says, love your wife like Jesus did with the church. Spend time with her, get to know her, be intentional 
about pursuing her as Jesus did the church. There's one more for you, and then we're gonna get into application with our panel a little bit, but one more here. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Now, that might hit some of you the wrong way. She may be weaker than you are. Like, what is he trying to say there? Literally, the words that he's using there are weaker vessel. She's a weaker vessel. And you think about the vessel, it's not, it's not the soul, it's not the core of your identity. This is our vessel, it's our, it's our bodies. God made men and women differently. And with some few exceptions on the outliers, there is a general pattern with men and women, how they are made and how they function. And, and even with some of our emotional wiring, there are differences that God has sort of baked into, generally speaking, men and women. And what Paul is talking, or Peter rather, is talking about here when he says weaker vessel, one way to think about it is like delicate pottery. Treat her like delicate pottery. In other words, be gentle with her. Uh, Treat her like fine china. Don't stomp all over her feelings. Don't be brutish and harsh. That's what Colossians 3.19 said. Don't be harsh with her. Uh, But treat her respectfully and carefully. Don't criticize or disrespect her. Don't do things that damage her self-esteem. Treat her like delicate pottery. So love enough to be gentle. That's number four. Love enough to be gentle. Peter says she's equal to you when it comes to salvation. There's no difference there. She's equal before God. But let's be honest, God made men and women differently. He did. And so there are different things that will hurt us and offend us and bother us a little bit, generally speaking. And for husbands, being disrespected is one of the worst things you can do. But for women to just stomp all over their feelings and not care about them and not be gentle with them is is one of the ways God made them. And so Peter says, treat her like delicate pottery. Now, what's really interesting about this is that this command to husbands comes with a very unique warning. Did you see that at the end of that verse? He says, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. That's a threat, right? That's a spiritual threat. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. And we're gonna have our panel come out right now and they're gonna join me on stage and we're gonna talk about what this means a little bit more and go into some practical application. But I want to um, close my time here with this point, which is this. God cares deeply about how you treat your wife. God cares deeply about how you treat your wife. There aren't many times when the Bible says that if you don't do this thing, your prayers will be hindered. I'm not gonna do what you want. You're gonna struggle. You're gonna pray for things and I'm not gonna do it. And the only reason I'm not gonna do it is because you're not treating your wife right. Listen, God cares about how you treat your wife. She's a daughter of God. You're a son of God. If you both follow Jesus, he cares about both of you deeply. He cares about you getting along. And if both the husbands and the wives will come together and do this thing called marriage in God's way, what we'll find is a wonderful lifelong partnership where we learn and we grow and we get over our differences and we have a beautiful marriage together. And if we do that, there's nothing Satan can do to tear us apart. Normally, this would be the time in the message where I would get into some more practical application steps, but we're gonna do that with a panel here. So what I'm gonna do is ask our panel to introduce themselves, and I'm gonna join them, and I'm gonna ask them some questions that maybe you have in the back of your mind, and we're gonna explore this thing together. So panel, would you go ahead and introduce yourselves? I'm uh, Steve Lancaster. I'm married to my wife, Abby, and uh, we've been married for just a little over two years now. And I'm Bill Jones. Carol and I celebrated our 40th anniversary this year. My name, my name is Todd Tabor. I am married to Beth, and we are just a little over 10 years. 
I'm Frank Agavino, and Anne and I have been married for 50 years. It's pretty amazing, right? And I am Adam, I'm married to Jenny. We've been married for 13 years this month. Uh, I wanna get into what this looks like to love our wives. And so I'm gonna ask you guys just to go right for the easy stuff, which is how do we love our, our wives well? And let me add an extra element to that, which is what are some of the obstacles that might keep us from doing that? Because we might come up with some really good ideas for how to love, but we're not all gonna do it if there's something that's keeping us from getting there. So how do we love well? What are the roadblocks that we might face in doing that? Well, with a, with a full two years under my belt, I'll, I'll start us off. Um, I, I think love is, uh, loving my wife looks like a, a daily, just practical, looking at my priorities each and every day. And so that means just waking up each morning and, and as I spend time in God's word is realizing where my priorities in life are and, and putting myself at the bottom of that list of priorities, dying to myself and saying, Christ is first in my life. And, and my wife is second in my life. And then everything else falls underneath that. And, and when I have those days where I, I'm actually focusing on that, meditating on that, and uh, you know, talking myself up into that, uh, those are the days where I, where I feel like I'm loving my wife to the best of my ability, uh, far better than the days where I don't reorganize those priorities. And so that, that often is, is a roadblock, is when my priorities get out of whack and you know maybe I'm, I'm focusing so much energy and, and time and thought into uh, work and ministry and, and things are going awesome and, and we're seeing tons of fruit or whatever, and, and, but I'm coming home each day completely drained. No more uh, emotional capacity, no more mental capacity to give to my wife and uh, and it shows, and, and that's not loving her well. I think the other, the other biggest roadblock for, for me is pride. And that's just, uh, that comes in, in so many forms. And uh, oftentimes uh, it's, it's uh, this perception that maybe with a question that she's asked or something that she said that, oh, this is undermining my leadership or, or whatever. And you know, I, Satan likes to use this, this desire to be a good leader and, and manipulate that and become a part of my identity that if that's ever even perceived to be attacked, then, then I'm on the defensive and I'm instantly, you know, she asks a question and I'm like, oh, that's, that's so passive aggressive of her when she's actually just asking for an answer, you know, did you clean this? And I, you know, go on the defensive and, and, and uh, fail to love her well in that. And so just taking the time to realize that, um, Give, giving her the benefit of the doubt and not trying to be on the defensive as if she, and trusting that she is trying to, to help me and support me and serve me and love me well as, as my wife. Steve, I like the daily emphasis you talked about because I think as men, we're attracted by the idea of this maybe one heroic effort that shows our love for our wives and then, then we, we can check out. And that's not the way it works. I mean, the discipleship call of Jesus is to take up your cross daily. And that means every day we need to be willing to die to ourselves. The selfishness is always there. We don't get a day off from that. And having that mentality, I think, is a barrier that we need to overcome that we don't get a day off. Really, that's part of being a disciple is the daily death to self in order to bring the life of Jesus to others, first and foremost, to our wives. And Bill, I think one of the challenges with that daily aspect is that it changes over time. 
that you know that uh, and and tr trying to be uh, sensitive to that change. I mean, I, first of all, I think when we go into marriage, we bring with us sometimes some baggage of ways to love that we've learned either from our family or from friends. And then on top of that, as, as circumstances change in, in marriage, the way that we have to love our wives change. I mean, it's different when we have uh, you know, young children versus teenagers versus empty nesting. I mean, all those times that, that the way that we love tends to look different, and we, and we need to you know, be aware of that. And it's, it's subtle, maybe changes from time to time, but some of it is pretty dramatic as well. You know, I like what you said about how we are so quick to be aware of where I can get applause from outside of the house and say, hey, if I kill it at work, that's kind of my part. I've done my thing. I've, I've done the heavy lifting and then come back to the house and like, I, I don't want to hear that it was a bad day. I don't want to hear that the kids were hard. I don't want to hear, I think, prioritizing to say, look, I'm not going to give my best away outside of the house. I'm going to try and make sure that I'm giving the best to the house. And, I, and that is a daily reset for me, I think, because again, it's e easier for us to go and gravitate towards, I think I'm doing okay over here, so I want to be about that. Whereas I think the mirror of family has a tendency to show you, oh, you're, you're struggling here, so I, I want to kind of go away from that. So again, I think there's a, a daily coming back to the Lord, whether I'm doing well or not, I need to be here doing this, looking over, uh, you know, as much as I can, what, what, what's in the best interest of the family, so. Yeah, that's right. One of the things that we struggle with as husbands, I think, is not only do we focus a lot on our work, especially if we can get some wins there, like you said, but also uh, when things aren't going well there, or, or just in general, we can, we can do exactly what Paul is talking about in Colossians 3.19 and be harsh with our wives. I want to talk a little bit more about that. I didn't, I didn't take a lot of time on that in the message time. I wanted to talk about that here. What does it mean to treat our wives harshly, and how can we um, not do that, follow Paul's command to not treat our wives harshly? Well, I think it does strike us strange as husbands that we would be commanded to love our wives, but I think after this, I think will be the beginning of my 37th year of ministry. So empirically, I can tell you, and Adam, you can confirm this, I've never had a woman come in to my office and say, Bill, we need help. My husband is loving me too much. Have you ever heard that? Not yet. Okay, I didn't think you had. No. You know, we get these commands from Scripture because God knows what our tendency is as husbands. And to understand the tendency, we need to go back to Genesis just like we did in order to understand the design of marriage. God designed marriage where there's a partnership, there's unity, and sin comes in, and there's a consequence for it. And God spells it out in the relationship. He, he says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, meaning your desire to control him. That's how the uh, NLT translates it. I think it's a good translation. And he will rule over you. So rather than being a, a suitable partner, as it says in Genesis 2, there's a desire to control. Rather than being a loving partner, he's going to be a harsh ruler. And so our tendency is going to be not to love, but to be harsh or bitter because of sin. So that's the bad news, I think, from that passage. The good news is, God can change that, and he has given us resources to do that. I look in, Gen uh, in Colossians 3, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so as husbands, as we expose ourselves to the word of God, welcome it into our lives, it teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us in righteousness. 
Uh, we look at Ephesians 5 and the resource of the Holy Spirit. Both of these, right before the commands to wives and husbands, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit dominate you, control you, direct you. We need God's power to be transformed, to become the husbands that he wants us to be. And so that's the good news, that just as the gospel restores us in our relationship with God, the power of Christ can restore us in our relationships with our wives to the design that God has. Yeah, I don't know how anyone uh, stays married without the Spirit's involvement in their lives. I mean, you know, you look at those couples that are married for a long time, 40, 50 years, and they're not actually believers, and you go, huh, that is really unique. Like, that's a very rare thing, because I know in our, our marriage, just the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit involved in our marriage has been critical to us um, getting through our issues and, and uh, having something else to, to focus on growing in so that we can stay together as a couple. It's such an important point. Anybody else? And Adam, you know, part of that transformation is also learning what, uh, what your, vi- your wife views as harsh. And, you know, that was a challenge for me because, you know, I came from an Italian family that was, was kind of loud. And, uh, and, when you want, and, and when you wanted to really be assertive, you just got a little louder. Well, I, I found out that, you know, that that can be interp- misinterpreted by Anne as being aggressive. And that would make it difficult to, you know, and that aggressiveness obviously was, was kind of viewed by her as being harsh. And I wasn't trying to be harsh, but it was just the way I was brought up. So I had to first learn from, from her what, what the things I did that would she viewed as harsh. And then the more difficult problem is where the spirit comes in is to, is to change the way that I was engaging with her so that I wouldn't come across as harsh. Yeah, Frank, I can certainly relate to that side of it coming from the East Coast and uh, just used to all that, especially even just driving and the ways that, uh, that that does not mix well with with my wife's perception of what it means to be a gentle driver. Uh, that was evidenced when I cut in front of one of our own church congregants a couple weeks ago. And uh, that was a fun conversation having later That's on. That's why but I keep the horn at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They didn't give you a hand gesture or anything, did they? Because that no, would be a problem. No, they were okay. very nice and, and kind, as, as a Midwestern would right. be. So, um, <laughs> no, but, but in all seriousness, I, I, I think that even um, harshness can be manifested in passivity as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, Bill, you pointed to the creation narrative in the fall. And, and in that moment, we see Adam's present there and he's passive. He's not intervening. He's not standing up for his wife. And uh, oftentimes, if we're uh, passive and not standing up for our wives, not um, uh, being intentional, actively trying to love them, actively trying to listen, there's a coldness to that passivity. And, and that's, I mean, coldness is just as harsh as aggression. And so I, I think we need to be careful on both sides of that coin not to, uh, not to uh, allow ourselves to, to, to give that harshness. That's a really good point. I want to talk about the leadership side of things. You just touched on it there and uh, explore what does it mean to be a leader in the home? What does good leadership look like? I think for Beth and I, when we first met, Beth was on a college campus. She was in a lot of leadership positions. She had a lot of influence over uh, campus life. She was the dean of residence life. And so as we started hanging out and getting to know each other, it was really intimidating of like, what would it look like, biblical leadership look like? 
if if I if we get married and I think I got some good advice somewhere along the way because I knew I didn't I wasn't bringing more leadership or better leadership to the table of like start with questions uh, ask her relationally how are we doing and just starting to try and understand what what was love to her what uh, what communicated love what were loving actions um, and, and that was a saving grace because I, I don't know where else I would have started. And I think then as if you fast forward to now after 10 years, there are so many places where Beth leads and leads well in the family. She has, and we homeschool, she's got all of that under her, her uh, leadership. There's so many places where she's leading in church. Um, and I think for me to be a co-leader with her in, in, in the house is saying, you're killing it over here. I'll go do my part as best as I can and lead there. But letting her lead where she She's leading uh, well, and she just, you know, I think that to me is uh, is freeing because I don't have to be the subject matter expert on everything. I don't have to be the person who has the most information or the most uh, expertise there. I think it really is. It's it's checking in. It's taking the temperature of how are we doing relationally? How's the family doing relationally? How are we doing spiritually? What am I doing well? What am I not doing well? Um, to me, hopefully, that's that's one element of, of, of leadership because, you know, again, she's... I I'm not leading from a place of, of I'm doing it better. It's out of a sense of I'm engaged, I'm active, I'm concerned. Yeah, I like the picture of loving leadership that Paul gives in Ephesians 5, where he talks about, you know, love your wife like you love your own body. You know, this is what Jesus does. He, he loves and cherishes the church. That's what we do with our own bodies. And it's a responsive love. It's an aware love. So I know when I'm thirsty, I'm and without thinking about it, go get something to drink. If I'm walking and I get a pebble in my shoe, I stop and I take it out. That's the kind of responsive, loving leadership that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5. It's one that I think as guys we can relate to. I mean, we understand responding to what's going on in our own bodies. And that's going to take awareness on our part with our wives and beyond awareness of responsiveness. And uh, sometimes it forces us to step into some things that we aren't necessarily comfortable with. I remember being a part of a group uh, where the assignment was to go and ask your wife, are there ways that I could love you better or more? A little intimidating to do something like that, but I asked the guys that I was a part of, will you hold me accountable? So I went and talked to Carol, and you know, she was very affirming, which I appreciated, but she did say, you know, I would really like to take ballroom dancing lessons. Well, that wasn't real high on my list of things to do, but the guy said, you know, we'll help you with this and we'll hold you accountable. And we ended up doing it as a group of couples. And there were some sort of good leadership lessons even in ballroom dancing because you know who's supposed to lead? The man is supposed to lead. And even though it wasn't comfortable for me, and it wasn't easy for Carol. We actually learned about marriage through ballroom dancing lessons. And I realize I'm gonna get some hate mail from some of the husbands out there for bringing this up, but to me, it was one of those ways of how can I love Carol in a way that communicates with her. Bill, I love that point, but yeah, I'm, I'm among the, the hate mailers out there uh, with that. But I think there's another element of leadership and that's, uh, Adam, you mentioned responsibility being a huge part of that. and. Um, I, I think the, uh, there's a temptation as a husband to, to make sure to point out when my wife fails at something and, and make sure she knows. And, and that points back to the garden as well. When Adam 
quickly goes, hang on, that was Eve, she did it. And, and pointing the blame to someone else. And uh, that's, a, that's a poor stewardship of the leadership that, that God's given me when, when I put the blame on her because God's looking at me as a leader and saying, no, that's your responsibility. And that's, that's, not, that's not her. And, and so even just avoiding the temptation to shift blame and point it, put it at someone else to make it feel better for, for us as husbands. That's great. Well, let's shift there and talk a little bit about communication then, because communication is probably um, the critical piece of how to love well, how to lead well. If you don't have good communication, neither of those things are going to work very well. You might think you're doing something loving when actually you're not doing something loving for her at all because you haven't communicated about it. And the same thing goes for leadership. So how can good communication help our loving and our leading well in our families? Well, I think, Adam, as you said, Communication is a, is a thread that goes through the loving, it goes through not being harsh, it goes through leadership, is that it requires us to communicate, to understand how to love, how to not be harsh, how we can be good leaders, and, and, uh, and that means asking a lot of questions, and just and listening, and, uh, and being, being sensitive, and, uh, and, and part of that also is not only the good communication, but understanding how your wife communicates. For example, I'm... I am kind of a ready, fire, aim type of guy. You know, it's like when, when we're discussing something, I want to m- make a decision and move on. And, and sometimes Anne wants to collect some information or wants to kind of process things before we decide what to do. And, and so I, I, need, I need to understand that and to back off in those cases where she feels like it's time for some processing or, f- or further information collecting. And, and you know that's part of the communication, not only exchanging information, but understanding how each one of us processes that information and engaging through that process till you can reach a point to make a decision. So that's, that was, and the other thing I noticed about communication is that it changes over time, just, just like loving changes over time. And, and how we communicate changes. And, and there's times in our lives where the communication tends to break down. I mean, you know, Ann and I f- faced that after 10 years of marriage, believe it or not. We, we got to a place where we had moved several times and in the course of moves and other changes in our life, uh, we kind of uh, lost some of, the, some of the, uh, the tools to communicate well. And so at that point, you know, we... We were actually blessed to find a counselor to help us go work through that and, you know, and just provide the tools we need to get us back on track to point out to each one of us, each one of us and mostly me, where I was not communicating well and, uh, and to be a better communicator. And, that, you know, that's, that was a blessing as well to just, you know, sometimes we need that extra help to get us back on track. You make me think about uh, the early parts of our dating relationship with Beth and I. Um, we spent a lot of time communicating. We had a lot of words back and forth. We would stay oh, out till hours and hours, you know, past midnight when we both had to do something the next day, work or school. Uh, but we weren't communicating. It was there was not understanding. We had a lot of words, and it was real frustrating. And we were both dogmatic about getting our points across, and oftentimes it was doing more harm than good. So. Uh, as you alluded to, we went to a counselor and said, okay, this is the pattern that we're in. And and she was so good about letting one of us talk and then stopping us and saying, okay, Todd said this, Beth, how did you hear that? 
and she would share whatever she heard. And I'm like, wow, that's not even close to what I was saying or intending, right? And then vice versa. And she, it slowed our process down to where um, we could start to um, have a conversation where, hey, you just said that, but I, I don't know that that's what you meant. Did you mean that? And it gave us some tools that really saved us because we, I, we were still trying to figure out, do we get married? Because we're having enough conflict because our, our, our communication style was different enough and we were, you know, we were saying things that we were interpreting as hurtful. Uh, it, it took us a long time to, and, and I think most people would have said, oh, you guys are probably pretty good communicators. We were doing a lousy job because of our family of origin stuff, how we heard things. It just, that was very, very helpful. So if you're in a spot where communication, and I think it's always a work in progress, right? But if you're, if you're struggling, get somebody from the outside to mirror back to you. Hey, when you guys are sharing, I wonder if it's, or can I just say it looks like this from the outside? It was, that was super helpful for us. That's good. That's it, huh? <laughs> that's all the tips we have on communication. I would we, say we've used up all our words. We have. That's true. That's I, so true. <laughs> I would follow up, but I wasn't listening. So that's yeah. a, <laughs> I think that is the key right there, right? It's listening. It's it's asking questions. It's actually caring enough to be present and engaged and, and to really care what they think. And I know in, in, um, in my marriage, one of the things that I had to learn is that my wife, Jenny, is an out loud processor. And so she will say things that early on I took to be um, her actually saying this is what she thinks or believes when really it was her trying to work through those things but in an out loud way. And I'm more of an internal processor. I think things through inside and then I say, you know, what, what I what I think I mean. And so it was helpful for me to learn, okay, this is her style of communication. And, and I have a different style of communication. Once you learn that, you can know, okay, you're not saying the thing to be hurtful. You're saying the thing to try to figure out what, what's going on here and you have to talk it through. And so just understanding communication style and personality differences can certainly help with that as well. Um, just to know where are they coming from and what do they mean by this. And you can stop in, in any relationship and ask the same question the counselor asked. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Like what the stuff the counselor does, it's like, well, I could have done that. Why do I, you know? <laughs> but, but you need a, another person sometimes to come in and, and give you those tips and tools and remind you sometimes of things that you already knew. Well, I want to close this with a, a surprise question. It's not a surprise question anymore. It was in the early service um, because this is not one that I prepped anyone on, but I just thought of it in the moment earlier, and I think it's a good one, worth spending a couple minutes on here at the end. And that is we have two guys up here that have an incredible amount of experience and maturity and, and um, seasoning in marriage. And I want to ask them if they could go back in time to a younger them and give themselves advice about how, what they should do in marriage? I always think that's a fascinating question. So Steve, would you mind starting us off? No, I'm Absolutely, scared. yeah. <laughs> Bill, he gave me permission to do that, by the way. Um, I'm not just ripping on him for no reason, although I help, happily do that too. But Bill and Frank, would you guys share with us, if you could go back in time and give yourselves, your younger selves some advice about marriage, what would be the one thing you'd wanna tell yourself? I'll defer to the master over here. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, yeah, that was a surprise question first hour in, but, but immediately what I thought of is, uh, is a, a book I had read uh, called uh, Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And in that book, Gary talks about how God created marriage to make us 
holy more than to make us happy. And I think one of the challenges that I faced when we first got married, and I wasn't a believer then, was that I, I expected marriage to make me happy. And so, th- so that was a kind of a, an awakening that I had to face. And, uh, and fortunately, when I did become a believer, when, when the Lord got hold of me, I came to realize that, you know, it isn't all about me, but it's, it, it's about just, you know, loving and honoring my wife. But it, it is about me in the sense that it's me that has to change and not her if there's a challenge in our relationship. And that was, a, that was a, uh, just something that I didn't anticipate going into marriage. I think since I'm speaking to guys, I'll use a football analogy to begin. I think of the way Vince Lombardi would start training camp. On the first day, he would pick up a a ball and he'd hold it out and he'd say, men, this is a football. He would start right at the very beginning, start with the basics, and they'd talk about blocking and tackling and that kind of thing. And to me, I would want to emphasize for a younger me, you're never going to get out of needing these basics over and over and over. And I think the advantage that Carol and I have had through the years is that we've been involved in doing premarital counseling with couples. And so we go over the basics again and again and again. And every time we do it, it's like, this is so good. This is so important because we never get past the basics. So that's the foundation. I mean, the things that we've been talking about here, they may seem simple, they may seem basic, but if we're not putting these into practice in reliance on the Holy Spirit, then things can get off the tracks really fast. But with the Lord's help, we can gain momentum in the right direction. That is so good. And we're gonna, we're gonna call it there. And uh, as we close here, we're gonna sing one more song. But before we do, I just wanna let all of you know and those of you who are watching online right now that we really truly care about your marriages. God cares about your marriages. I, th- I hope that's been clear the last couple of weeks. This is a big deal to God. And one of the tragic things that we discussed earlier today was how um, many of us have worked with couples that are having difficulties in marriage. And it always seems like they ask for advice when it's pretty far down the line when it's almost too late in some cases. And so my encouragement to all of you is if you're struggling in some way in your marriage and there is any way that you think talking to someone else could help you, pursue that early, not late. Don't wait to get help in your marriage. And when we care about your marriages, we want the marriages in our church to thrive. We want them to be successful. We want, we want for them what God wants for them, right? And so that means if you need help with something and you wanna reach out to one of us, it could be any one of us up here on the stage. It could be the email address that I always put out there, pastor at efree.org. And, and uh, we'll you know, direct you to wherever we need you to help you out with that. We have a whole care ministry here. We do things for marriages as well. We have a, a whole care operation under John Richardson and we can refer you to counselors as well. Don't wait too long to get help in your marriage because usually by the time you think of it on your own, like, okay, I guess we should go get help. Sometimes it's just, it's so far gone that it's really, really hard to come back from that. So uh, let me pray for all of you right now and just ask God to bless our marriages, help us to have strong and biblical God honoring marriages. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, this has been a great time and it's been encouraging um, and, and full of good reminders for me of what our marriage is supposed to look like and what the husband's role and responsibility is. And God, my prayer for everyone who is watching this right now, all the husbands in particular, I just wanna pray for the husbands right now. God, I pray that you would reveal to them right now how they can take the next right step in the areas of love that we talked about today. 
Lord, how they can agape love their wife, be committed to their wife, show that love in a meaningful way. And Lord, I pray that you would not help, not have them be overwhelmed by thinking, okay, how do I you know, live up to some crazy standard? How do I get all these areas to a 10? But just how do I get this up one level from a six to a seven? How can I be a little bit better at this this week than last week? Lord, give us that insight and wisdom. We know you want our marriages to be healthy and to be strong. And so we ask for that for everyone who's watching this right now, Lord. And if there's anyone that needs help in their marriage, help them to surrender those things to you, to commit to being the husband and the man of God that you want them to be. And we know that you will work in their life to continue to refine them and grow them and turn them into the leader, the the point person that you designed for them to be. Lord, we praise you. We worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray.